Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today, I've got Chris Willis, who's the CMO for Acrolinks. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Chris, you've done some interesting things in your career. Can you talk about you know, what you've done and how you've ended up at Acrolinks? Sure. Um, I think, you know, interestingly, I started my journey in technology um, in web development. So not so much the traditional marketing track. Um, started with light coding, moved into some Java user interface experience, and that moved me to Europe. I ended up living in the Netherlands. And while I was there uh, working for KPMG, I shifted to an account manager role um, because that's what people that develop front off user interface experiences often do is I'm going to go and sell in Europe. And uh, when I moved back back to the US, I've got some light development, I've got some sales, um, moved into product management. And then one day at a company I was at, the room spun and uh, my corner of the room was marketing. And I was attracted to that because from a creative background, it allowed me to do interesting things to drive real world results. Quickly learned that measurement is super important. The only way that you're gonna get budget from anybody is if you can prove value. So it became very data-driven. Uh, and since then have been the CMO at four different companies. Um, and in addition to that, um, just because it's fun to mention, I'm also a CrossFit coach. So lots of interesting things going on. Yeah, I saw that. And I realized that actually I'm a little out of shape. So maybe I'll uh, talk to you about training afterwards. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so I mean, Acrolinks isn't necessarily one of the best known um, marketing tools. Can you just briefly explain what it does? So we're AI-powered software that improves the quality and effectiveness of enterprise content. And what I mean by that is it captures a business's writing guidelines, whether it's an entire organization or a department or even a team, uh, captures those guidelines, the way they want to write content, and makes sure that everybody that writes content aligns with those guidelines. So think you know, quality, brand, compliance guidelines. So it could be you know, correctness, um, it's written correctly, uh, it's the right grammar, it's the right spelling, but it can be consistency, it can be scannability um, from a brand standpoint, tone of voice, the way that you wanna communicate, the level of, of liveliness or formality to your content, uh, the clarity levels of, of your content, who are you writing for, what level of education does that reader have and can you write to that clarity level in addition to things you would expect like brand terms and brand language. And then from a compliance standpoint, um, things we don't say, you know, depreciated terms, inclusive language, legal terms, and being able to, in a first draft, guide writers to write that way. Um, it is essentially increasing the alignment um, and singularity of the voice of the content for an organization. So I guess as marketers, one of the first things we, we worry about when we hear about these kind of um systems that control what's written is, you know, is it restrictive? And, and Acrolinks grew out of uh, R&D in Germany, which perhaps is not best known for its freedom in terms of writing. Um, you know, so, so why did it come from Germany? And, and does it really restrict what people can do when they're writing? Um, okay, two questions. So why did it come from Germany? Uh, British founder, 
living in Switzerland, doing his uh, PhD program in Germany, working with the DFKI, which is an artificial intelligence lab. That's why it came out of Germany. But the other reason is because the genesis of this business really is working with large European product manufacturers around aligning consistency across their technical documentation and their product manuals. Um, so think in terms of, you know, on a product manual, you might talk about how to connect a battery on page one, page 36, page 372, and elsewhere. And can we be consistent about how we talk about connecting a battery? So it made sense that this was started and, and lives headquartered in Germany based on the need for that kind of governance inside manufacturing businesses. As to the second part of the question, we don't make decisions for writers. So the guidelines are there and we provide them. Let me give you an example. In my last business, we were a testing company. We were a mobile software testing company who sold to DevOps. Because we sold to DevOps, we didn't want to use the word test. We wanted to use the word quality. DevOps folks don't see themselves, developers don't see themselves as QA testers. They're building quality software. Now, I can't even tell you what we did without using the word test. When writers in my organization would create content, undoubtedly, they would use the word test all over that content. What we do, what Acrolinks will do is go in and say, you said test. Did you mean to? Because what we generally say is quality. And it's now up to the writer to say, well, actually, in this case, I did mean test. Or you're right, this is customer-facing content where I'm talking about an idea of quality. I'll shift this to quality. We have the ability to do that change autom automatically. We can automate that process. But because of the creative aspect of writing, we can't always know what you meant, what the context is. So we can guide you to align. We can guide you to be better. We can guide you to be within those guidelines. But we don't want to take those dr draconian measures of just changing it for you because that could dramatically change what you meant to write. That's interesting. So, I mean, Acrolinks is actually, if you like, working with the writer as the writer produces their content rather than checking finished pieces. It can do both. So there is a sidebar that runs within any uh, authoring environment. So you could open up Word and have your sidebar, obviously Google Docs, sidebar, but Adobe products, Madcap Flare, wherever you're creating your content inside CMS systems, for instance. And so as you write, you can check your content and it comes back and says, hey, this is really hard to read. Here's some reasons why. And what you get is essentially a scorecard. And that scorecard will take you through your quality flags. Um, this is written incorrectly. From a consistency standpoint, this isn't working for us. Clarity level, uh, this is unclear, hard to read. Your off tone of voice, please use these words, don't use these words. And you end up with a score. And that mm -hmm. score represents your global alignment to that piece of content you're also getting each piece of guidance and saying, these are the changes you need to make. So you can write, 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 check, go back and make changes and see your score improve. We also have companies that use the product completely automated. So write, 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 check in to a repository. And let's say overnight, um, that content is checked by Acrolinks and a scorecard is delivered alongside it. So effectively, you know, Acrolinks is, is understanding the content. I guess that's the AI bit and checking against certain rules or requirements. Um, how much effort is involved in setting up the rules as to what constitutes a particular company's style? 
So there's a, there's a couple different ways that we manage that capture process. Um, one is a company knows it. So the way that I think about it is that every owner of content, whether it's at the enterprise level or in the, the, uh, the silo, whether it's in, in tech docs or marketing or wherever, uh, everybody has a whiteboard. And that whiteboard has everything that they think they want to write about, you know, the way that they want to communicate their quality brand compliance, um, all detailed up there. And the problem is it's on a whiteboard in their office, so nobody can see it. And if they could see it, we don't really have writers anymore. We have people that come to work and a byproduct of us coming to work is the creation of content. So we don't all follow that. We're just trying to get things down on paper to be done with something and move on to the next thing. And so what we do, what the product does is it just consumes all that right off the whiteboard. If you know that, we'll pull all that information into Acrolinks and set up guidelines based on that. Now, not everybody knows those guidelines, right? So another way that we can manage that is to take what you think is objectively good content, like what, what's working for you, what, what represents you the way that you want to, and we can read that content and then pull out guidelines from it. And then it becomes a discussion of, do you agree that this is the content that you want? And what you end up with is this set of guidelines. What's a guideline? Good question. Mike, I'll tell you. Um, the easiest one to understand is top level. We're all gonna spell the name of the company, right? What if we could do that? Like, what would that save us if we worked at a complex company that sometimes uses, um, you know, one word, sometimes uses American Express. Are, am I mm -hmm. Amex? Am I American Express? Am I AE? Is there a .com involved in this? Um, do we always use the, the same? Do we say American Express the first time and then Amex after that? How do we manage that? And so first rule, we all say the name of the company right. Done. Fantastic. And if you understand that guideline, everything flows down from there. Then it's, you know, we say this, we don't say this. We want this level of clarity. We want this tone of voice. And how do we create a tone of voice if our tone of voice is, I want to be witty, uh, but wise and not arrogant? How do I turn that into actionable guidelines? So if I want to be conversational, I want shorter sentences. I, I don't want to do big, long run-ons. I don't want marketing language. I don't want buzzwords. I want to use you and yours. Um, so that I connect with the audience. And that all becomes the rules that people are essentially using to develop their software, their, uh, their content. That's fascinating. It sounds like, I, I mean, you're almost creating a style guide for a company. I mean, do you ever see companies who bring their style guide, you yep. then run the tool and that the company goes, oh, we should have had that in the style guide, or we should have added that. Yep, and most, most all of our customers do have a style guide they use, and they can actually import that into the platform, um, or they can build alongside that. Wow, that's cool. So the obvious question is, if you've got a style guide, why doesn't that work? Why doesn't that ensure consistency? Well, back to the, the statement I just made, most of our writers aren't writers. They're people like you and I that come to work and know something. We're a subject matter expert for something in our business. And most people have never seen their company's style guidelines. So it's a matter of first getting that out in front of people, then getting people to comply to that, to learn it, to know it, and to live it. Um, and when we had dedicated writing teams, that was a thing. 
But as that starts to go further and further from where we live, um, putting that in front of people in a systematic way becomes necessary if we're going to get that alignment. You also have a case where a lot of people are you know, out in the world building their own voice. And you know, I, I work at a huge company, but I write for their blog. It sounds like me. It doesn't sound like them. And how do I align with this global business? Um, you need that, that level of assistance. Uh, of of high level governance to sound like the business, not sound like you. Think about it in terms of, I mean, you've used a chat bot and that's the most obvious example of live communication with a, with a global brand. Um, if you're having a conversation with uh, somebody through chat on a, on a website and you're trying to solve a healthcare problem, for instance, or an insurance problem, do you want somebody to communicate like them or do you want them to communicate like the business you want it like the business because everybody's different and they could offend the heck out of you without even meaning to just by adding an extra smiley face emoji like it's just how they communicate but it's not how the business communicates that's that's fascinating i mean I, you know the, there's two things there one is the change in how we generate content and it, it sounds like what you're seeing and i think this reflects what I'm saying is that we're moving away from dedicated writing teams and we're having to pull in a lot more people to do writing. Is, is that what you're seeing? Is that the challenge? There's a lot more people generating content that is then used outside the business? Absolutely. So it's interesting. We learned, we learned something, I guess, a year and a half ago that we didn't really see coming. So part of where we were in the iteration of us as a company was talking to our customers about value and uh, reduction in the cost of content creation. And so, you know, you make the statement, I can save you X number of dollars um, in your content budget. And here's what we didn't expect. The response was, that sounds really great. Show me where in my budget I have content creation money. Now, a lot of our customers have agency money. You know, they're creating money out or they're creating content outside, and that's more mm -hmm. easy to identify. But the content that's being created inside the business isn't necessarily budget driven. It's things that you do as a as an employee. So an example from my life is in my last company, my best writer was somebody that worked in product marketing. And in that business, product marketing didn't report to me. So I'm borrowing somebody else's resources. Um, to be able to create this amazing content. But that content was being written in English as a second language. So grammatically difficult to read, clarity difficult to read. And the editorial process was very difficult because I can't just fix it, right? Because if I fix it and I don't really understand the technology behind it, uh, I might be changing the context. So this back and forth between this person that wrote this content and our editing team took forever because we change it, he changes it back. Like, <laughs> it's not what I meant. You're changing what I meant. You're changing my words. And so this, this was a huge and difficult and daunting problem. And what made it worse was we were in the process of writing a book. There was 26 chapters in the book. 20 of them were written by different individuals, all non-writers writing in English as a second language. Like, oh my. <laughs> How do you manage that? And that was actually what, that was right where I was sitting when I discovered the business that I now work at. And this just seemed like such, a, such an answer to the problem that I had of these great minds, fantastic technologists 
who just couldn't get it down on paper in a way that made sense and that was readable. But if I could give them that guidance real time in their first draft, it's going to save me months and tens of thousands of dollars. Like it's a, it's a real value to the business. It didn't look like I was spending a lot of money because I don't have a budget for content, but I was in every other area to be able to cover this. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, thinking about a lot of our clients, you know, the last thing you want to do is say to them, well, we're here to save you money on content generation because most of our clients would say, actually, if I could double my content output, I could double the budget. It, Absolutely. It's much more about making it easier to generate content. And I think that's that's a really interesting point that Acrolinks is actually making it easier for people to create content if they're not somebody who's necessarily been trained as a writer. Well, if you think about the process of, of creating content, content in an organization. So there's a, there's a content team and they're tasked with solving a problem. I, I need this document. Cool. They're not going to create it. They're going to go to a subject matter expert elsewhere in the business. And they're going to request that that content be created. And then they have an editing team, most likely an internal editing team, external editing teams are expensive. So that person writes it, it goes to the editor. Um, and then there's that back and forth that we just talked about. And finally, it's at a point where it works and it makes it to the stakeholder, some management level person who looks at it and says, oh, this is, I get it. I see what you're trying to do here. It's really cool. But I have this other idea. If you could go make these changes and boom, we're back to the writer, to the subject matter <laughs> expert. And now we're back in that feedback loop again. And finally it gets back to the stakeholder again. And they're like, okay, this seems good, but did you, have you, have you talked to legal about this? because most of our customers are very large organizations who need to go through compliance and regulatory checks. So now it makes it to legal and they're like, what the heck happened here? They're not allowed to say any of this. So all <laughs> of it goes back to the writer again, who has to make the changes that are aligned with legal, back to editorial. And so this simple request that I had from the content team just took between four and six weeks to come to completion. And the problem with that is I needed it four to six weeks ago. I don't need it anymore. So all this work that we just did was essentially for nothing because I have a piece of content, which now is great, but I don't time sensitive. I don't need it anymore. And I mean, this is a story that's been validated and validated and validated with the companies that we talked to is that we're losing 50% or more of the work that we're doing around content creation because it's not needed by the time it's delivered. So if I could shrink the time that it takes to get that content from ideation to production, it's more likely that I'm getting more content out. I'm reducing the amount of content I'm throwing on the floor uh, and I'm reducing the amount of time that people are touching this. We're reducing all that that manual work that's really more mechanical and letting people do the things that they should be doing. So if I can reduce all of that middle of the middle of the process labor, all those folks that were spending all that time can do more creation work. And that's where we get that loop back to more content because everybody wants more and nobody's being given more budget. So I need more, I need more content from you. You don't get more people, you don't get more budget. I just need more. And how do you, how do you do that? You got to fix all of your supply chain problems all the way through this process. And that's one of the things that we do. That's, that's fascinating. And I think, you know, there'd be so many people listening to this that would relate to the making it easier to generate content, in particular, making it easier to generate content that gets through those internal filters, those people who've got to approve it. 
um, you know, that can be the, the toughest job sometimes. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if your organization uses something like Afrolinks and it ties it in with you know, legal, for example, and legal has pre-built content guidelines that you need to go through in the writing process, think about how much it costs to go through legal review in a global enterprise. Like if I can reduce that by any percentage, any percentage, that's a measurable amount of, of budget and time. And so that's that's where we're seeing these real gains for these organizations. That and I mean, if we move into the development side and look at, for instance, tech docs, we've gotten so much better at building software over the course of the last several decades, going from waterfall approach um, to agile, to continuous integration, to, to continuous delivery. But one thing hasn't changed. It still takes the same amount of time to create the documentation and go through the editorial process. So something has to give. And what's been giving for a lot of companies is the review process. They're covering, you know, with their small team of tech editors, they're able to cover one to 2% of the content that's coming out alongside their software, which means one of two things. And I'll let the audience draw their conclusions. One, they're only releasing one to 2% of their technical documentation or two, 98% of their, their technical documentation is going out without any real review. So that's a problem. And how do you solve that? Well, you can't solve it with people. You can't throw people at that problem because you, I mean, I have four people getting 2%. How many would I need for a hundred percent? That's an army. What you have to do is build automation in that process. And when you build that automation in, you're, you're able to check 90, hundred percent of that content and see actual quantified scores that say, this is why this is okay. So maybe an 80 out of a hundred means that it's good to move to the next stage. It passes a gate and maybe a 90 means it's good to move to production. And you have that, that kind of chain of, of custody of that content, knowing that it's gone through those types of rigorous checks, even if there aren't people involved. Uh, and that's where, you know, again, people are seeing acceleration happen. They're able to create at the speed of the business. As the business speeds up, I can do more with less and then use the savings in all those people that I had to let those people do creative jobs, not stupid manual jobs. And that's such a good point because, you know, you hear a lot about companies investing in, you know, building more technology. You just don't hear people about putting the same amount of investment into tech docs. Which, which is important. That's why we end up with documentation that sucks. Well, and the whole the whole thing that's happened in the last couple of years, like for a decade, I've been talking about the digital shift and using that as a thing to drive people to action. It's coming. Someday your only point of contact is going to be uh, through the internet and you need to be ready for that. Nobody really thought that was going to happen, but it did. Um, and, and here we are. We've moved to a world where the customer experience the way that we think about it as businesses has changed dramatically because now it's not just, you know, customer experience has always kind of been synonymous with front office connection with your consumer. Um, it's the, the website where they buy their product. But now you really need to be thinking about it in terms of it's in the product you sell. It's the words on your product or in your product. If you're a software business, it's your user, uh, it's your, uh, your UI strings. It's in your documentation around your product, your product manuals. 
it moves into the education internal and enablement. Um, it's your marketing materials, it's your sales content, and then out into service and support and all the post sales content that you're going to create. If these are the things that I interact with my consumer around, I need a certain level of structure of governance over that whole process. And we're not set up that way as businesses today. Everybody's still a silo. You have your your technical documentation team, your manuals teams, your marketing teams, your education educational content teams, and then your service teams, your service and support teams. What we see happening, what I believe will happen uh, more and more over the next several years, is that that customer that total global customer experience will roll into a leadership role at the C level in the business to oversee the experience that you have with the company, not with the pieces of the company. If a company is a person, you know, you hear Google talk all the time about we want to we want to communicate like a person. We're there is a outreach of Google as a person to you, a person in the audience, a consumer. Um, you got to think about that across every touch point, not just the obvious ones. And that's where this starts to get really interesting. Absolutely. And I guess, I, I mean, that that brings me to an interesting term on your website, which is um, goal-driven content. People are often producing content to achieve certain things. Can you explain exactly what you mean by goal-driven content and how Acrolinks will help people be more successful at achieving those goals? Sure. So good content is great. Um, but is it good for the cause? So I think in terms of the concept of content fitness, is it fit for purpose? So it's good, but it's not right for what I'm doing with it. So I, I wrote a really great essay and a fantastic landing page about apple orchards, and I put it on the National Milk Board's website. It's great, <laughs> but it isn't going to do anything. It's not fit for purpose. It's in the wrong place. So our idea of content fitness speaks to, you know, upfront, what problems am I trying to solve? So if it's a conversion thing, if I'm trying to convert more leads, if I'm trying to convert more sales, the purpose of this is to engage and educate and move into a sales cadence. Um, do I have content that does that today? So can Acrolinks help you look across your entire content lexicon and find a piece of content that solves the problem that you're trying to solve? If not, can we help you to build that content? So go beyond you know, the quality, correctness, and character that we talk about um, and think about how do you build content that's going to be found and usable for this purpose? And then once I've identified what that content's supposed to look like, now I'm going to build it leveraging in brand language and the clarity levels and the voice that our audience cares about. But that last piece is relevance. We'll identify that this piece of content is relevant to the cause. And your score isn't going to just be this content is good. Your score is this content is fit for what you're trying to solve. I'm trying to sell something right here. This piece of content is designed to be found for that purpose, designed to help users convert, and then is relevant to the problem I'm trying to solve and the product I'm trying to sell. And all of that comes together to have a much higher level score than what we've delivered in past years. This fitness score gets at the fact that this content will deliver. Now, the next question you would ask is, what if it doesn't? My great question. Thanks for asking it. <laughs> 
if it doesn't, it starts to play towards some of the assumptions that you made in the creation of the model. So 80% of Gartner asked uh, a group of CMOs, do you build your own guidelines? And almost all of them said, yes, they'd come up with their own set of guidelines. Um, and 80% of them identified that they made them up. They don't, I mean, it's my job. I'm supposed to be good at that. And, and I think I am, but I might be wrong. And so if I made them up and I create content and it comes out and it's perfect, it's fit for purpose, it's findable, it's readable, it's going to do all the things that I think it's going to. Really, that's based on a model that I created. If it doesn't perform when it comes out the other end, what I'm learning there is that I need to iterate my process. I need to go back into my guidelines and look at where my assumptions were incorrect. And that's a huge focus of moving from strategy aligned content creation, which is defining your guidelines and building to those guidelines to audience alignment, where I listen to the audience and their reaction to my content. And I use that to iterate and get closer to them. And that's sort of a vision in the future right now. But as businesses get closer to that audience alignment, they're creating that engagement content that's going to drive the, you know, really drive the business forward. That's where we're very much focused right now. This whole concept of, of content fitness um, will culminate in a brand new product for us being launched in January um, that is delivering that full content fitness experience. I feel I should ask you about the product, but I'm sure you're not going to tell me because it's not January yet. But uh, <laughs> um, th that's fascinating. I guess I guess I've got to look and see if there's any issues. And the first thing a lot of people find with AI is the requirement for large training sets. So, I, I mean, do you find that people need to producing a, a lot of content to make Acrolinks work effectively? I mean, in general, this is a product that's designed for use at scale. If you only have small batches of content, um, it's probably not necessary to drive this level of AI. If you look at you know a representative customer of ours, they're doing hundreds of thousands of content checks a month, um, millions a year. And that's where this evolution comes from, is that use at scale. But at the same time, I use the product. Um, we're a much smaller customer or company than our customers. And mm -hmm. I'm still getting great value out of what our product delivers because I I own you know the central rule set and am able to define the way that we communicate. And in doing that, learn some really interesting things, even at small scale. Um, a fun thing that I learned is that you know I, I came in to the business in 2017. Um, our founder and I sat down and defined the tone of voice that we wanted to move forward with, and we implemented it for our front office. So sales, marketing, BDRs all had access to this implementation of Acrolinks. And it worked really nicely. Um, our audiences appreciated the tone of voice that we created. It was found to be engaging. Um, seems like a great thing. So me, being uh, a power-hungry megalomaniac, said, cool, I want everybody to use this whole business, everybody got to do this and um, pushed it out into the next best place beyond marketing, which is our support team. 
And when you're writing your support tickets, use this implementation of Acrolinks. It seems to be resonating well with our audiences. Interesting thing happened. Our support audiences hated it, hated it. Didn't really? think it was fun at all. Didn't want witty and wise yet not arrogant and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they didn't give a sh no interest in that at all. They want their questions answered. They want it clear, consistent, concise, solve my problem. And so the idea of you know, bifurcating your rule set, looking at it hierarchical. So at the top, it's we all spell the company name right. But down from there, I may have a, a more lively conversational tone on one side and a more formal, consistent, and, cl and clear tone on the other um, to be able to uh, communicate to those two different use cases. But the things that are inherited are the things that make us a company, that make us having, you're having a conversation with one thing. It's just that when I'm having it over here, I don't want a lot of flowers. I just, just want words. Over here, you want that engagement and liveliness and somebody that sounds more like me. <laughs> that's, that, that's fascinating and interesting that different audiences for your, your company actually need slightly different different tones of voice. It makes a lot of sense when you say it. Um, I'm really sorry, Chris. You know, we're running out of time here. I, I'd love to get your take on, you know, do you have three key things you can give us as top tips for content generation? Um, that maybe you've learned, you know, seeing customers use Acrolinks that perhaps anyone could benefit from? I mean, I think first and foremost is know your audience. Demand gen teams do a really good job of knowing who they're marketing to. So you identify your persona, you create your ideal customer profile, uh, and you're going after those that audience. Um, content teams need to do that same thing and really understand who they're communicating to and how those people both consume content and want to hear content. And by tailoring that approach, uh, you're going to create more impact. People are going to enjoy your content more, engage with your content. You're going to get better business results out of that. Uh, the other thing that I think is, is super important um, is looking beyond the obvious. Uh, I'm actually doing a, a speaking session at a, another conference in two weeks. And the topic is about sort of forgetting about your customer um, and writing actionable content. And I mean, my provocative statement of the day is business to business content is boring um, and nobody cares about it. it. The only people that care about your product sheets are people that already know who you are, that are looking to solve a very specific problem. If you're trying to engage an audience, write something actionable, write something that's valuable to everybody. And so that whole theme of like thinking through creative ways to solve problems, whether whether your product is perfect for that or not, provides the value that expands your business and your brand well beyond your customer, your your customer base and your audience. Um, and that's been a way that I've launched a number of businesses over the course of my career is just by creating content that people care about. It goes well beyond the product. Uh, the final thing is that it doesn't take software to manage governance. It, 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 it's great too, um, but taking a more active approach towards your governance. I mean, if you think in terms of, I mean, we, we talked before this session about style guidelines. Everybody has style guidelines, but do you adhere to them? Do you, do you push them out into um, non-writers in your organization? Um, 
And in most cases, no, I have a sense of, of guidelines, but I'm not really managing that. Being more active around that, putting those in front of people, um, finding a way to measure content rather than just produce it and roll it out. Um, all of these things are software-free approaches. It's just being, being active about it, being intentional about the way that we look at content creation versus I got to get this done. I got it done. Can you read this real quick? Cool. I'm putting it up on the website. And that sounds like a small business problem, but it's not. That's an every business problem. Like, <laughs> boom, it's up and it's out. And who read this? I don't know, but it's out there. And we don't really get to check content for quality of or context of, of the content anymore. We're just making sure it doesn't have obscenities in the middle of it and then it can go up. And that shouldn't be that way. I, I think that's brilliant advice. I love the way that, you know, certainly at a small scale, a lot of this doesn't need any automation. You know, it just needs people thinking about it. Um, you know, and certainly I think when you get to scale, it's very clear why a product like Acrolinks, you know, comes into its own and is massively beneficial for for everyone, both the content creators and the the people reviewing it. Yep. Um, I really appreciate your time, Chris. It's been fascinating. I, I've got about 20 other questions I could have asked you, but... Um, if anybody does have anything they'd like to ask you or they want to find out more about Acrolinks, um, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, you can always find us at acrolinks.com, A-C-R-O-L-I-N-X.com. Uh, and I am on LinkedIn at C.P. Willis. Perfect. So um, hopefully we'll have uh, lots more people contacting you because it's going to benefit everyone because the content on the web is going to be so much better. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thanks again for, uh, for being on the podcast, Chris. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.